the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John chapter 4, beginning at the fifth verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus do not share things, Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drink from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will come in them, become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true, the woman said to him. Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where a people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to him, said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us, Jesus said to her. I am he the one who was speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, What do you want? Or, Why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and went on their way to him. This is the gospel of the Lord.
Let us pray. Lord, may the words that come from my mouth make sense because they're inspired by your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today's uh, Bible passage that uh, David has read for us is a really important part of John's Gospel. It's full of big themes and amazing, intricate details. There's so much biblical scholarship written on this passage. Whole books have been devoted just on this section. And as I was trying to consume all this information in preparation for today's sermon, it was starting to feel like a really, really, really long sermon. So I thought I'd take a different approach and talk about one of my favourite things, shoes. Um, those of you who can see um, inside, I've got the brightest pair of shoes that I have on in my closet. Um, there's actually a social media account called Preachers in Sneakers, where um, the owner of the account tries to hunt out and see the really, really expensive shoes that some preachers, particularly American ones, uh, wear when they're on, um, uh, on the platform preaching. Um, but I can assure you these were 50% off. I'm not sure why orange shoes were 50% off. I'm, I can't work it out. But, but the approach I'm going to take to this passage is that if we pay attention to this text and inhabit the shoes of this Samaritan woman, which might be something that we might not automatically imagine as we read this encounter. If we try and walk in her shoes, we might not only find that those big themes and intricate details start to come to life, but we also might find a deep sense of intention, connection and revelation. We meet the Samaritan woman in verse 7 of this passage but it's important before we get there to understand why Jesus is in Sychar. At the beginning of the passage, uh, of the chapter, Jesus tells, or uh, well, John tells why Jesus um, is going through Sychar. He's going from Judea to Galilee. But the way that John phrases it is that he had to go through Samaria. Which kind of makes sense when you look at the map. It's the most direct route to go from Judea to Galilee. You go through Samaria. But, there's a big but here. It was significantly more risky to go through Samaria, particularly if you are a Jew. If you weren't in a hurry, then you would definitely go around on the other side of the Jordan River. And when you read through the Gospels, particularly this one, there's no sense of hurry about Jesus' mission and ministry, particularly at this point. But John records that he had to go through Samaria. And as I read and reflected more on this passage, it hit me that the reason he has to go through Samaria is because this one woman really matters to Jesus. 
Nothing else happens in Samaria other than Jesus meeting this, this woman on this journey that John records. So let's just pause and walk in her shoes for a moment. I wonder if you've ever felt important enough for Jesus to go out of his way just to find you. It seems to me that Jesus was at that well on purpose for a purpose. And it's made me start to wonder whether some of our life experiences might actually be purposeful encounters with Christ who intentionally finds us. But then I started to think about it a little bit more deeply. One of the big themes running through John's Gospel is that Jesus finds others and us. And it made me wonder whether, in fact, every opportunity, every moment of our lives could be one of those intentional life experiences where we can have a deep encounter with Jesus. We just remember the ones that we paid attention to. Before we get too much further into the passage, I want to just set the scene for what's going on. We hear from John that it's 12 noon, the middle of the day. The temperature in the middle of the day in the Middle East, I've never been myself, but those who have tell me that it's very, very hot. Why would a woman be working in the hot sun when it would be more usual to do that type of daily chore right at the beginning of the day when it was cool or again at the end of the day when it was starting to cool down? The question that came into my mind was, is she trying to avoid other people? So let's walk in her shoes again. I wonder if it's possible that when we're trying to avoid an issue, a situation, or a feeling, that could be one of those moments that we actually start to pay attention to what Christ is doing around us. Or Christ helps us to take that moment a little bit more um, seriously. I know there's lots of experiences that I look back in my life when I have tried to be avoiding the truth or running away from a form of reality that I've been given a nudge by Christ to notice something specific. Jesus wants to be at that well. He's gone out of his way to be there. But the Samaritan woman needs to be there. She needs water to live. But she doesn't want to be there when anyone else is around. And I wonder if you could imagine how she must have felt when the one person that she runs into is a male Jew who asks her for a drink of water. Well, the truth is, to be honest, none of us can actually imagine what that would be like. We live so far removed from that cultural experience. So let's try at least and understand how she might have felt. Samaritans and Jews didn't go out of their way to make conversation with each other. At that time in history, it's recorded that they weren't normally aggressive and militant towards each other, but 
they weren't friends either. They, they, they were the, the annoying neighbours next door that they didn't want to have anything to do with. Because the Jews believed that they were right. But the Samaritans also believed that they were right. And neither was going to, through thousands of years of neighbourly history, going to convince the other to change their point of view. Sounds a little bit like the polarised world we're living in at the moment, doesn't it? Also, this woman is a woman. And Jesus is a stranger and a Jew. And as we will find out in just a moment, she hadn't had the best history with relationships. And that was most likely the reason that gave her the desire to, to avoid other people, particularly those people that she lived with and around. In those times, it was a social taboo for a man and a woman to meet at a well like this. Unless, here's one of those quirky little intricate details that you can uncover by going deep into this passage, it was quite a common place for a man and a woman to meet if the man was going to ask the woman to marry her. There wasn't anything that you could swipe right or left on back in, that in those days, but a well was a common place of betrothal. And that's really interesting to think about, given the woman's history and what is really deeply going on here. But Jesus is a Jew, and it would be absolutely scandalous to consider a Samaritan and a Jew marrying So I wonder how you would feel if you were somewhere that you didn't want to be and the last person that you wanted to see turns up. We're starting to get a little close to how this woman was feeling. Then throw in the added extra into this equation that if someone was to walk past, they're immediately going to misinterpret what's going on. Oh, here she is again with another man and this time it's a Jew. And it's a well. What's going on? Imagine the shame and the embarrassment starting to well up in this woman. We're starting to understand how she might have felt. But despite all that, Jesus engages her in a conversation. Jesus is God, so he can see that she doesn't want to be there but has to. And makes her an offer that seems too good to be true. Living water. The offer of living water would be like somebody walking up to us and say, would you like home-delivered groceries to your front door for the rest of your life? We'd be crazy to refuse it, but, but we'd wonder if there was a catch. And I think that's what's going on in the little interaction that follows. She's really excited about this idea of a living water, not having to come every day to this well in embarrassment and shame in the middle of the day. But what's the catch? Now we get to the really tricky part of the passage. We don't know the background behind why she had had five husbands. Samaritans weren't too dissimilar to Jews in terms of their marriage rights and practices. For Samaritans, like Jews, it was normal to have one woman and one husband. But maybe the first had died. 
Maybe it was a result of poor decisions. Most likely not her poor decisions. One thing is almost certain is that in that culture, she would have had very little ability to control her situation. And at the very least, we can see her as a victim of circumstance, forced to avoid people because of the societal shame that was attached to her history. In all likelihood, she'd been the one who'd not been treated well, or that she'd been the one who'd gone through repeated tragedy. But Jesus sees the truth of her situation, and he opens the door for a very important relationship to begin. He doesn't dwell on the past. He affirms her for telling the truth and allows her to move on with him. How amazing is it that Jesus doesn't dwell on our brokenness, on our failure, on our sin? When we and others see shame and guilt and failure, Jesus sees hope and possibility. I wonder if you've ever been in a situation when you've been talking with somebody about something and then all of a sudden the conversation takes a profound turn and becomes much more important than what you first imagined. I can imagine um, that many doctors might experience this when they ask the question, where does it hurt? Only to find there's something more at stake than just superficial pain. What's really at stake for this woman? Well, I think it's simply a relationship with God. She simply knows, she wants to know, how does she find God? That is what is deep within her soul that Jesus can see through. But she gets lost a little bit with the legalism. She, she, she knows that Jews believe they could only worship God properly at the temple, while Samaritans believe they could only wor- worship God properly on Mount Gerizim. And that was a deep, source of division amongst the Jews and the Samaritans. But deep within her is something that's more personal, something that feels like it's missing or out of place. A woman who has to work in the heat of the day, trying to avoid others. A woman who's likely experienced deep tragedy and being a victim of the actions of others. She's feeling guilt and shame and rejection and she's crying out deep within her where is God where is God at our lowest in our most confused moments when we're in the midst of despair and things aren't going the way that we would like them Don't we walk in her shoes and cry out, where is God as well? But to her deep and complex question, Jesus simply replies, I am here. Jesus tells the woman that it's not going to matter where or how you worship in terms of logistics. What's going to count is what's on the inside as we worship. 
Worshiping in spirit and truth means simply that, worshiping from our very core of our being. Not going to the right service on Sunday, not doing a particular type of service at a particular type of denomination, in a location or online. To worship in spirit of, and truth is to know that who we really are is already known by God. And the person who we really are that we're discovering is already loved by God. So it makes me question whether what we do on Sundays is always from that inside-out perspective. Do we just sometimes go through the motions? I know I sometimes just switch on to autopilot, but I'm sure we all have moments like that. But if that's the only way that we worship, if it's the only expression of our relationship with God, then what does that say about our connection with God? And are we missing God's presence that is always with us? John's Gospel is known for its I am messianic statements. And it's really interesting that the very first time that Jesus says, I am, which was scandalous at the time, would have been scandalous to the Samaritans as well as to the Jews. He says it to this woman the very first time. He says, I am right in front of you. I am the Messiah. I am the God you seek. I am the one who knows you. I am the one who loves you. How often, like this woman, I'm sure, how often do we forget that God is with us, that Jesus is accessible at all times and in all places, that Jesus is always waiting for a response to the invitation to be loved? How often do we miss God's presence because we're so consumed by our world and what people might think about us. Our world's worries, our worries, its challenges. I can't do that anymore. It's too hard. If you were to read further on from where David left off this morning, you'll find that a woman who didn't want to be around anyone is so transformed by this experience, she rushes off and tells the whole town, the town that she's trying to avoid, what she's just experienced. Could you imagine how that must have felt and seemed to the town? This woman who's been sneaking around on the outskirts of our society, not wanting to be noticed, all of a sudden is telling us something radical and amazing. She's been liberated. She's a new person. Gone are the doubts and the burdens and the insecurities and the fears. She has a new identity. She's encountered Christ. So I wonder this morning, deep within you, do you want a new identity? Do you want to be recreated by an encounter with Christ?
do you want to realize who you have always been all along, but you've been crowding it out with all these doubts and insecurities about what others might think or how you think you should be? When all along, the new identity we've always craved is right there in front of us. It just needs one thing, a relationship with Jesus. In fact, this encounter with Jesus at the well is actually a betrothal. It's a different type of betrothal. It's the most intimate relationship any human can have. It's a relationship with ourselves and God, our Creator. More intimate than any possible human relationship we could experience. You might not have naturally thought, as I did, that as you read this passage or listened to it, that let's just jump into the shoes of this woman and try to experience what she's experienced. But if we do, we find a depth and an encounter with God that we don't expect that's possible for us, possible for those that we love and know. And it makes me wonder as I finish, if we're to look at the shoes that others are wearing with intent, to learn how God is working in and through them already and to discover in that intention how God can work in and through us as well. Lord God, as we pause for just one moment, help us to see deep within ourselves and help us to see you waiting there with the promise of living water that deep, intimate relationship that we can only imagine is possible in a human sense is made possible through a relationship with you, Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. In a time of silence, Lord, just meet us as we are in our doubts and insecurities. Strip away all those burdens, all those expectations and longings. And see us just for who we are. Help us to reach out to you and accept the relationship that you offer. In Jesus' name, amen.